0: The scripture today is from Revelation 20, verses 11 to 15. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. From his presence, earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and the books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Church, this is the word of God, you may be seated.
1: All right, thank you, Patty. Has anybody else enjoyed this revelation series that we've been going through over the past six, seven months? Yeah. It it has been amazing. I'm so thankful for Darren and his preparation and a lot of study and work that he's put into this and others who have preached as well. And, um, As leadership, like, we talk about it, you know, like, the past month or two, and I remember one thing, you know, a few of us have said, it's just like, man, we just desire... The coming of Jesus even more, like studying Revelation. and It's not like that's the whole purpose of this book, that we would long to look forward to that day uh, when we are with him. So uh, I, we're getting pretty close. We have a few more weeks after this, but today our text, Revelation 20, 11 through 15. So, you know, just kind of your ordinary, um, you know, feel good, like casual text in the Bible that we're going to be in today. Um, just kidding. This is this is such an important passage, right? This is such an important, I mean, we're in the third to find, you know, last couple of chapters in the book of the Bible, and the setting here is, is just jaw-dropping. And so what I'm going to do is we're going to go through these uh, six verses or five verses and uh, just kind of see what's in here and then refer to other passages um, later, kind of highlighting what we see here. So in verse 11, Jesus, he's seated on the great white throne. And the text says that heaven and earth, they flee from his presence and no place is found for them. When we were in teaching team, I remember David Mann, he was like, okay, so if the heaven and earth are, they flee and there's no place found for them, there's nothing to look at other than God. There's no place found for them. And then it says, everyone is there, all the dead, both the great and small, standing before the throne. Every human being that was ever created standing there before the throne. And it says, the sea, death, and Hades also gave up their dead. And then it talks about these books, right? In verse 12, it says, uh, these books were opened... Then it talks about another book which was, that was open, which is the book of life. And these books are really important. It says, the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And I think these books that are being referred to in, or in this passage, um, I believe these books on the day of judgment will be a collaboration in immense detail of all deeds, thoughts, anything we have uttered with our mouths, and anything we have ever done, both for the believer and the non-believer. And when the deeds of each person are revealed, I believe it will be very, very clear for everyone to see that no one will be found righteous on their own. Everyone has fallen short of the glory of God Romans chapter 3, verse 10, it says this, verse uh, through 12, it says, As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside, together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. It's going to be only those names written in the book of life that will be found righteous. These are the people who have surrendered their life to the Lord and placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ and are obediently following him. And they will be found righteous on the day of judgment because their sins were paid for on the cross. I do believe these books, they will, along with the evil and the bad deeds of both the Christian and non-Christian, there will be good, you know, good acts of service from our perspective recorded for both the Christian and non-Christian, but none of these good deeds or good acts of service grant us salvation. I don't know if you've ever thought, like, I've wrestled that bef- with that before as a Christian. It's like, man, like, there's, there's a handful of non-Christians, like non-self-proclaiming Christians who are honestly more friendly and more pleasant to be around than self-proclaiming Christians, right? And you're like, how, how does that work, God? Like, they, they were such a nice person, Isaiah 64, 6, it says, We have all become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. We all fade like a leaf, and our iniquities, like the wind, take us away. God used some pretty vivid imagery here. When he talks about a polluted garment, that's uh, another word for it is just a used menstrual rag, okay? God's using this imagery to get a hold of his people, to say, look, like, if you're living in sin, if you are unclean and you're not in right relationship with me, even your good deeds are like a used menstrual rag before me. Like, you would never give that as a gift to someone of like, hey, I know you're mad at me, but here you go. Like, you know, take that. I hope you love it. God's like, no. God's saying, as long as you live in rebellion and sin before me, even your good deeds are absolutely disgusting to me. I'm not pleased with that. So passages like that, we know no one will be justified by their own works, but only by placing their faith in the work that was done on the cross. That's how your name is written into the book of life. It's by placing your faith in him. Verse 14, death in Hades says it's thrown into the lake of fire. It says this is the second death, the lake of fire. So this is the last we will forever see death, right? Can you imagine what that's going to be like? No more loss of loved ones, no more funerals, no more tombstones, no more goodbyes, no more crying. It's like death will be thrown into the lake of fire and no one is ever going to miss it. Goodbye. I mean, that is going to be an amazing thing to see. And then verse 15. Anyone not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. There are no words adequately to describe the importance of this verse And the eternal ramifications it means for people's names who are not written in the book of life. This is the end result for every single person who rejects Christ. Every single one. Last month, uh, one of my sister's best friends, uh, she passed away, had been struggling with cancer for about 12 to 18 months. And uh, eventually passed about four or five, six weeks ago, whatever it was, and it was just weird. Um, death is weird, right? Sometimes, it, it, like I remember, you know, finding out that she had officially passed, and was like, "Man, that's it." You know, like the life that we know it of her on, in this world—it's it, over. And and it just got me thinking about death and funerals and past loved ones that. I've lost in funerals that I've gone to. And I'm just going to preface what I'm about to say. I, I, want, I don't want to come across insensitive or harsh or anything like that. And this is something that um, when I was a young believer, I remember a pastor talking about. But I think one of the lies from the enemy in our culture and in our country in regards to death in regards to funerals and things that are said, every funeral you go to, the message is often something such as, you know, they're in heaven now, and they're with Jesus, and they're in a better place, they're no longer suffering in pain. And for followers of Jesus, that is 100% True. The, the Bible is very clear about that, that, the, that if you are a follower of Christ, you are in the presence of God, you are in heaven. There are people that we know who are right now worshiping God face to face, and we long for that day. But then you read other passages, such as Matthew 7, verses 13 through 14, and the Bible is clear, Jesus' words are clear, that the way to destruction is easy and wide, and many enter it. But the way to eternal life is narrow and hard, and few find it. So if the message in our culture and at funerals, and just talking about death, and if everyone, maybe not everyone, you know, maybe there's like some you know, really bad ones, like maybe the Hitlers or Stalins. It's like, okay, I don't think anyone's talking about them being in heaven. But for the majority part, like, you know, we got 99.99% of people going to heaven. But if Jesus's words are true and that the way to eternal life is narrow and hard and few find it, then something is seriously off in what we experience in our culture. The lie, I believe that is from the enemy at each funeral is nothing to see here. Hey, no big deal, just another soul off into eternity. So for those of you who are still living and breathing, don't contemplate eternity too much. Just think about how they're resting in peace and one day you will too. No need to examine your life. How you are living, don't consider whether you are in right relationship with God, and, that, and don't even think about how one day you will stand before God Almighty and give an account for how you lived. It's like the enemy just wants to lull us back to sleep. Like when you go to a funeral, and that's when people often think about death, right? They're staring it right in the face, and it's just like Satan just wants to lull them back to sleep. Be like, no everything's good, they're in peace now, don't worry about it, and therefore you don't need to worry about it either. Don't examine your life. I think funerals are the best opportunity to preach the gospel, right? To share the hope of Christ. And even though it's contrary to what our culture tells us, we know from this verse in Revelation 2015 and other passages of scripture that many people will reject Christ and be thrown into the lake of fire, and the reason I say that is because it's, it's just easy to just to go with, with culture, right? And, to, and ourselves, like I go many days, months, if not a year or two, of just genuinely broken for those who are lost. And to be sober-minded of like, man, I, I need to be on mission to share the good news with people. This passage is so heavy, but it's one we need to talk about. It got me thinking, just studying this passage, why is it that people reject the gospel? It's like, man, like, what, why? Like, do you not see the goodness of God? And I think Jesus gives us that answer in Mark chapter 4. Um, we're going to look at Mark chapter 4, verses 13 through 20. So feel free to turn your Bibles there. And just to summarize, verses 1 through 12. So Jesus, he tells a parable um, about uh, these four types of soil. So uh, many of you may be familiar with this passage, but you got the path, you got the rocky ground, the thorns, and the good soil. And so Jesus tells this story. Disciples are confused, not an uncommon theme within the Gospels. They don't understand the parable. And so then Jesus begins to explain it. And that's where we're at in Matthew or sorry, Mark chapter 4, verse 13. So it says, And Jesus said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word, and these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, when they hear Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground. and choke the word and proves it unfruitful. But those that were sown on the good soil and the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. So Jesus says there's four soils, right, in this parable, um, but there's three bad kind of soil, right? The first one is the path. He says they hear, but then immediately, like, no root is taken. I mean, it's kind of like, 30 minutes later, they forget what they even heard because Satan comes and takes away the word. The rocky ground, it says they hear it, they receive it, but it takes no root. They endure for a while, but they fall away because of tribulation and persecution that comes with the word. And then the third kind of bad soil, it's the thorns. They hear it, but then you know, they, they may be excited about serving the Lord and having, you know, being at church and whatever it may be, but it says the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things, they enter in, they enter into the heart, they choke it out, they choke the word out and it becomes unfruitful. Jesus is talking about, these. Are, this, is, this is the response of people to the gospel. So, um, just to help further illustrate this, I'm going to invite Aiden Johnson up here, and uh, he's going to help me out. Everyone, give up for Aiden. <laughs> so, I thought it'd be a good idea to bring a fishing pole to church today. Um, when I walked in, some lady, one of the, one of you guys said. Uh, you're like, are you lost? Did you go? <laughs> come to the wrong spot? So, um, hey. So, what we're gonna do is Aiden's gonna stand over here, and I'm gonna put my Bible over here, and so over here on this side of the stage, this is representative of you know God's presence, His Word, o- obedience. So, Aiden is being a great Christian. He's following the Lord. Um, your parents are proud. Everything's going great. So, um, I'm gonna be over here and trying not to break anything, and. Um, I'm, I'm going to be representative of the enemy, and um, if you, any of you have been fishing, I really enjoy fishing. I'm not great at it, but um, you know some days are better than others. So everyone knows that the concept of fishing, you put something on the hook, on the end of the line to get the fish to think it's real food. Maybe it is real food, but it's got a hook inside of it, okay? So I have a $20 bill attached here, and Aiden, you like money, right? Perfect. Okay. Everyone likes money. So um, what I'm going to do is I'm just going to cast the line very carefully there. I'm glad I didn't hook you. Okay. And um, so what I'm going to do, oftentimes in fishing, you just throw the line out, hoping and praying there's some fish out there. And it typically, right, if there's a fish nearby and you got a good um, bait on it, uh, you know, it gets their attention. And so this is in correlation with Mark chapter four. This is what I believe happens. Right? This is is what I think the enemy does. He he throws things at people who have accepted the word and then Aiden, if you just wanna follow that along because you're interested in this $20 bill and you really want to grab it. and, And if you notice, it's not like a super quick runaway but slowly but surely, Aiden just keeps walking closer and closer to this $20 bill as it moves closer to me And, oh, he's going to bite it. Yes, I got one. So, if you notice what happened now, Aiden's right here in the midst of the enemy, okay? And he's a long ways away from the Word of God and following God obediently. And the phrase that stuck out to me, it's actually when we were studying the Gospel of Mark on Thursday mornings, uh, with the youth group, and in Mark chapter 4, we went through it, the, the phrase, the deceitfulness of riches, it just stuck. Because that is not how we often think about money, is that there's a level of deception, or it can be a level of deception behind money. Aiden, you can go take a seat. Thank you so much. Uh, yeah, I'll give it to you after the service. <laughs> okay. So... What I see, how, like, and this is such a good reminder, because I'm like, I don't usually think about money potentially being deceitful. And money is not the issue. It's the heart's response to money that is. Right, money is a good thing, God, the Lord gives us money so that we can pay for groceries and, you know, the air conditioning and things like that. Money's not the issue, but it's our heart response to it. And I think so many times, man, we can look at something. Jesus is telling us these are the things that lead people astray and lead them from a genuine and pure devotion to Christ. Just like a fish seeing some, you know, some bait, maybe even it's a real worm, but they don't recognize the hook that is deceptively hooked onto the worm. And it's the same for people. Right, we can bite into money, being convinced it will satisf- satisfy us, not realizing we have been deceived into the love of money while the word is choked out of our hearts and leads people astray from Jesus. That's how crafty the enemy is. That is how much on guard we need to be against sin. And maybe it's not, maybe it's not money, Right? We're all prone to different things and different sins. Maybe, it, maybe it's some form of sexual immorality. It was just a couple of months ago, I was listening to a podcast. Uh, one or, uh, I think it was two uh, counselors and professionals who, who research marriage, you know, for the last couple of decades. And it was fascinating. One thing they said that often leads, or one of the most common things that leads to adultery is people being on Facebook or some form of social media and, and, and having a reconnection with the person that they've had a relationship with in the past, whether a girlfriend or boyfriend or fiance. And it starts out with some messaging that probably that not wise to begin with, and then it becomes more frequent, and then it becomes, you know, in-person meetups, and then it heads south from there. Right? The enemy is so crafty. It could be as innocent as looking at your, at your memories on Facebook and seeing something like that pop up that leads to that. If it's not sexual immorality, it can be idolatry of any kind. Maybe getting caught up in work or running your own business or, um, you know, making your kids the center of your life. And I love my kids, right? I love my wife. I love my family. But they would make for horrible gods. (laughs) I wasn't trying to be funny, but yeah. Whatever it may be. Luke chapter 14, you don't need to turn there, but you can. I'm just going to summarize the story, but the parable of the great banquet. So Jesus, they're all sitting down to eat a meal, and and Jesus tells this story, um, and he talks about how this master, he's hosting this great banquet, and then finally the banquet is ready, and so he sends a servant out, and he says, hey, all those people who were invited, he's like, go and gather them up, because it's time, we're ready for the feast. So the servant, he goes out. And he starts telling all these people, he's like, hey, hey, the master has set the, you know, seats are ready, food is ready for this feast, the master has sent me to bring you here, so let's go. And these are their responses. It's crazy. Who doesn't want to go to a great banquet or a great feast with tons of food? One of them says, I bought a field and I need to go see it. He's like, man, I, I, I would love to, okay, but just bought this field. It's awesome. It's got a great view. The wife's going to be super impressed. The kids are going to love it. We're going to do tons of stuff, probably set up a pumpkin patch because they have pumpkin patch in that day, in those days. And so, you know, it, it's just going to be incredible. I'm going to make a lot of food off of it. You know, um, it, it's going to be great. And I just, I'm busy and I need to go see it. Another one says, I bought five yoke of oxen. And he's like, I need to go check those out. Now, probably none of us have oxen in this room. But if we did, right, We, you know, like the the person saying here is like, oh, it's just very tempting and and I need to go look at him. The other one says, I got married and I can't come. Like, that's kind of lame. But I'm just, yeah, so you're just reading this passage, you're like, do you not understand how amazing this banquet is going to be? That's what Jesus is saying. But all these people are just giving excuse after excuse after excuse after excuse. And the reason is, is because Christ does not dwell in their heart as supreme. They have all these other things. They have things such as money and maybe fishing or whatever it may be. And it's like, you know what? I would love to go to the banquet. I would love to follow God. But I got this one thing. And it reveals where the heart's at. It's like, man... What, what, you know, I, like I said, okay, no one has oxen in this room. Maybe some of you have some field and land or whatever. Many of us in this room are married, whatever it may be. But what are the other distractions? Maybe some of you have hardly been here all summer because you've had basketball or baseball or softball or you just had to be at the lake every single weekend. And you've been on vacation and, and that's great. I love sports and I love vacationing but you have to prioritize what is number one in your life. And if there's a pattern, like if there's a, you know, if, if you're just like, well, like we can make it to church this Sunday because we don't have a volleyball tournament, and we can make it to church, um, you know, five weeks from now because we don't have this, and so that'll free us up. And it's like, no, 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 no. It ought to be reversed. I'm not saying that there are not exceptions, right? In times to get away with your family or whatever it may be, but what is the pattern in your life? And you may be like, Brandon, you just don't understand. Sunday mornings are the best time to play golf, right? No, none of those people are here because they're playing golf right now, okay? There's so many things that captivate the heart. And I would encourage you to examine your own life and ask the question. Am I being deceived by something? Is the enemy just over here reeling me in? And it would be a scary thing probably, but if we were actually to come before God, and it's like, hey, where where are we at right here? Next question I want you to ask yourself, am I making a bunch of excuses? Am I fascinated with this field and the five yoke of oxen and marriage that I just have actually never surrendered my life to the Lord? I want to go back to Revelation chapter 20, verse 15. Revelation 20, 15. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Such a heavy verse. I don't, a big part of me doesn't enjoy thinking about it. But I remember one time, so this is a phrase that I'm just kind of trying to remember accurately from John Piper. But he said, Christians ought to be the most joyful and the most mournful people on the planet. They ought to be the most joyful. We ought to be the most joyful people on the planet because we know the glorious hope that awaits us. And at the same time, we ought to be the most mournful people on the planet because we know the judgment that is waiting for those who do not know Christ. And the Lord, as I was just studying this passage and reading through Revelation, I just felt like the Lord put it on my heart that as a congregation, we would take some time just towards the end, not even at the end of my sermon here, but just here in a few minutes, to just pray. Pray for three, four, five minutes to just pray for those who the Lord puts on our heart who do not know Christ. Right, even as we've, I've been talking this morning, maybe someone has already come to your mind who you know is not walking with Jesus. And maybe, it's, maybe if you're sitting there like, I haven't thought of anyone yet, just pray and ask the Lord, who can I pray for? Here in just a moment, Ryan's gonna come up and he's just gonna play Uh, the piano and play some music as as we take some time to pray. But as he does, I want to read Romans 9, verses 1 through 3. This is Paul speaking. He says, I am speaking the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. Like, this is such strong language. First, he's, saying, he's talking about, like, people he knows well, Israelites who, who don't know Jesus. Like, they know everything about the law. They got it memorized, but they, their hearts are still hardened. And he's like, man, I wish I was cut off from Christ. I don't even know how you get there. I'm just being honest. I'm not there as a person. But he says, I wish I was cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers. But verse two, he says, I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. My prayer is is that we see texts like this in scripture that we too would have a heart for the lost like Paul did. That we would be broken that we would be praying and interceding on behalf of those who do not know Jesus. Just for example, my hypothetical situation, I certainly hope this doesn't ever happen, but let's say one of you in here goes into cardiac arrest. You're no longer breathing. Right, right there in that moment, sermon would stop, all the focus would be on that person, bringing them back to life, making sure that they live. And all you medical professionals, you would be right there doing everything you can. The rest of us would be praying, like everything would be focused on that moment in and of itself. Because it's important. It's a moment of life and death. And as important as that would be when that happens, it's a far greater importance when it when we're talking about someone's soul and their salvation because it's a matter of eternal life and eternal death man i want to have a heart i'm just being if i could be honest a part of me wants to have a part like paul and my a part of me doesn't because i don't like thinking about the eternal ending for those who don't know jesus but my prayer is, is that we would have a heart for the lost the way Paul did and just like Jesus does. And so we're going to take some time just to pray. It's a little unorthodox and I'll come up and finish our sermon, but I just felt like it was appropriate for us to take some time to pray and intercede uh, for people in our lives who who don't know Jesus. So Ryan's going to play and then I'll come back up in a few minutes. Heavenly Father, Lord, I lift up, we lift up every single name that was prayed for in this body just now. God, that you would break through in their lives, that you would bring truth and light where there is darkness and falsehood. God, that we would pray with an expectant heart, knowing that you are a God of power and a power and a God who loves to save. So, Lord, I pray that you would comfort hearts in this room right now who who are burdened for those who do not know Jesus. And, God, I I pray that stories, even within this next week and in this next month, God, would, um, would happen of people showing interest in the gospel and people coming to know you because of us lifting our prayers up to you right now in this moment, Lord. It's a powerful thing when we get together as brothers and sisters and pray. So, Lord, we pray all this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Uh, as we end, there's just a couple things that I wanted to both encourage us as followers of Jesus and and, and exhort you in. and. Uh, First, I, I forgot to specify earlier, but when, I, when we're talking about, you know, temptations and different things like that, I don't want anyone in here to, to doubt their salvation by any means, right? Every single one of us, we are tempted with things. But man, if you, are, if you have placed your faith in Jesus and you're walking obediently, right, you have nothing to worry about. My goal and my attempt in talking about this is that, man, for this, if you are in this room, and you're just kind of going through life and kind of playing, creating, adding Christianity and God onto something, you know, another part of area of your life, you know, I pray the Lord um, has used um, his word um, to get a hold of you. But when it comes to talking about the idea of reaching the lost, right, it's like, okay, it's like, man, I, I want to be more focused on that. I just wanted to share a few things that came to mind. It's obviously not an exhaustive list, but the first thing that I think is the utmost important when it comes to reaching people with the gospel is to pray with what we just did and to specifically pray for open opportunities, right? We, we cannot do this on our own. We can't even begin to try. And I, my, my encouragement is that we would just be more mindful of asking the Lord to open up opportunities in our life to bring the good news to someone then there's other practical things such as you know maybe just having people over for dinner building a better relationship with them maybe it's your neighbor who you really don't see very often maybe if you're in a situation where you can ask someone like hey like would you care if I pray for you or do you care if I will be praying for you even though you may just be praying for them regardless even if they say it's not okay Um, maybe it's inviting someone to a house church that you're a part of or whatever you know people of Christians that you hang out with we have Discover Bible study cards in the back that could be a useful tool to you as well. So many different things, but again, just pray. A couple months ago, earlier this year, it was something Darren said in his sermon that kind of stuck with me. And um, I've, I just was convicted about it. And so this, there's this gym that I've been going to for the last few years, and like we work out in groups, and there's a trainer kind of leaves us all. And I just wanted to be more t- intentional and and just sharing Jesus, you know, with whoever and whatever, and so um, there was one day where there was just a couple of us in this group, and uh, the conversation got started. This lady was like, oh, you're, you're probably, you probably hate tattoos since you're a pastor, right? And I was like, well, like, I mean, not necessarily, like, I don't, I, don't, I don't have any myself. I just don't think I can pull them off, you know, whatever. So that was, like, the, sort, the beginning of our conversation. And then eventually, uh, my trainer, um, he, you know, known him for a couple of years now. And we started talking. He's like, yeah, he's like, religion just isn't for me. And he was kind of asking some questions. And it just opened up an opportunity for me to share my testimony with him. And it was Awesome. Right, and he just was like, "Yeah, okay, you know, and, and whatever." But it was just an opportunity, and I've realized I'm like, "Man, like the Lord opened up that window," and so my encouragement with that is that we would just be asking the Lord to open up opportunities in our lives to share the good news with people, and then I think for us specifically, I, th- I wanted to turn to Second uh, Peter real quick, chapter three, verses nine through thirteen. This is what it says. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with the roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness?" waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. So the question is, Is like, okay, we are saved for those of us in this room who are in Christ. The question is, what should we do? And the answer is in verse 11, to live lives of holiness and godliness. Walk in obedience, right? Don't get entangled with the sin in our world. And the other thing in verse 12, we ought to wait and earnestly desire the coming day of our Lord Jesus. And Why is it so important to wait for God? Why is it so important to be eager and excited about that? It's just like when you're at a restaurant, like some of us will be here in a little bit and you order your food and you're so excited for whatever entree you ordered, right? You, you are going to be more inclined to have the self-control not to get full on chips and salsa, right? Because you're excited about the meal that you just ordered. No one will, everyone hates that feeling when it's like, ah, oh, I had too many chips right before my dinner came out, right? And the same goes with this. Part of obeying God's word is to eagerly wait for the coming of Jesus. Because when we do, we will be less inclined and less tempted with the sin and fleeting pleasures of this world. We're, we ought to be a bride that, that is prepared for the coming of Jesus. The next couple of weeks as we close Revelation and Revelation chapters 21 and 22, we are going to see the glorious hope that awaits us, our eternity with the Lord. just as a reminder for those of us in this room, there is no condemnation in Christ. There will be a day when all of us and every other single human being on on this planet and who has ever lived and will live will be before the throne and in the courts of heaven. You and I will be declared innocent for all of eternity because of the blood of Christ over us. There is no condemnation for those of us who are in Jesus. And one day our faith will become sight. And the text says that's going to be soon. So I wanna invite pastors and prayer counselors and anyone else who normally comes up here to come forward at this time. And as I've been talking and sharing this morning, if there is someone in this room that you read a passage like Revelation 20, 11 through 15 and you're like, you know what, if I'm honest, I don't think I'm ready. If the, if the throne were to take place today, I don't know where I'd be at. I would encourage you to come and talk to someone. Do not leave this place if the Lord is moving in your heart. Today is the day of salvation. There will be a day that every knee bows and every tongue confesses. And the prayer is, is that you do that now in this life and not in the next. So I'm gonna pray for us as we... Um, enter into worship. So let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Lord, I thank you for how it challenges us and convicts us and encourages us and Lord, I just pray that as your people God that when we see a passage like this, it would make us more missionally minded. That it would be that we would focus more on you and be more intentional with the relationships that we have in our life. And Lord, that we would live lives of holiness and godliness that are pleasing to you, that we wouldn't get tangled up in sin. But Lord, that we would see how good you are and that we would eagerly wait for the day when we get to see you face to
0: face. We pray all this in your name. Amen.